1: Hello, and welcome to How to Be Fine. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I am Jalanta Greenberg. In each
2: episode of How to Be Fine, we weigh in on what's happening in the world of happiness, health, and betterment, and we offer a little bit of advice to those who ask
1: for it. Full disclosure, we are not physicians, psychologists, psychiatrists, but we are experienced self-help critics. We've lived by the rules of nearly 100 self-help books for our other podcast, By the Book, which is right here in this feed if you scroll back. So we've tried on almost every kind of wellness trend out there.
2: And besides, we're not here promising to make you like the best, most optimal, richest, highest-performing version of yourself – If all goes well, we'll just help you get a little closer to feeling fine.
1: Alrighty, Jalanta, we have some terrific advice letters to get to later in the show. But first, as usual, we're kicking things off with our hot topic.
2: Yes, we are. You want to know what today's hot topic is? Oh, yes, I do. You know it. Today's hot topic is Skycology.
1: Ooh, skycology. I don't know what that means, but it sounds very futuristic and very exciting. Like maybe I'm getting in a spaceship. Maybe right? I'm going to Yeah, maybe I'm going to meet some of those octopus extraterrestrials that I really like from Arrival. Ooh,
2: that would be awesome. Yeah. But that is not what skycology is. Skycology is a new term that has been popping up recently. I've seen it in some sort of like wellness trend reports, and a few news outlets have started writing about it. It's a term that was coined by the UK researcher and positive psychology coach Paul Conway. And according to his website, SuccessfulHuman.com, Skycology is a new area of well-being research defined As the study of the relationship between looking up at the sky and well being.
1: So, this is about looking up at the sky, not necessarily getting on a spaceship in the sky. Not being in it necessarily. (sighs) A little less exciting, but I am still curious. And I'm curious specifically about why this is good for us.
2: Yeah. Well, you know who else was curious? Paul Conway, (laughs) the creator of Skycology. According to an interview with Country Living UK, which is linked in our show notes, all the articles and studies I reference will be in the show notes. Conway said he was curious about the effects of gazing at the sky because when he was a kid, he used to look up at the sky as a way to escape and forget about his rough home life. He found it comforting. So while getting his master's at the University of London, he started researching the effects of looking up at the sky, and he published his findings in 2019. Now, Kristen, before I tell you the results of these findings, they need to be taken with a grain of salt because this study was based on a sample size of four people. Oh, my which, gosh.
1: That's, that's fewer small people one. than on our How to Be Fine team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So,
2: you know, who knows how significant these findings really are or if the same findings would occur with a larger sample size. That is yet to be determined. But here is what he did find out about looking at the sky. It is calming. It can help with emotional regulation. It promotes a sense of feeling in the moment. It creates a sense of being connected to something bigger. It elicits a sense of awe and It's accessible and doesn't get old like some wellness practices because the sky is always changing.
1: And it's always there,
2: right? Right. Exactly. That's how it's accessible. Yes,
1: exactly. usually (laughs) you can like sneak a little peek at it. Usually. Yeah. Most of us, if we're lucky, can see the sky at some point or another during the day.
2: Yes. So obviously those are some big claims. And I wanted to dig a bit deeper into each of these supposed positive effects of looking at the sky. All right, let's hear them. First, let's look into the claim that looking at the sky is calming. I do have to say, because of reading the nature fix back in the day for by the book, again, that is in this feed. You can just scroll back and look for the nature fix. I am willing to believe because of this book that looking at the sky, a.k.a. a part of nature, has some positive effects. And there are studies, ones that have larger sample sizes than four people, that have proven (laughs) nature and even looking at pictures of nature can calm us and lift our moods. An Australian study looked at the emotional well-being of 286 people over a 21-day period during COVID lockdown in early 2020. And they found that being outdoors was associated with higher emotional well-being. And additionally, the impact of loneliness on well-being was weaker when participants were outdoors than indoors.
1: That totally makes sense, especially when you think about how many of us were locked in our apartments by ourselves during COVID. Right. Just feeling like we were trapped and then being able to go outside and not feel trapped, that can be calming. It can calm us down to feel like, oh, look, I'm not trapped anymore. Totally, right? I'm outside.
2: (laughs) Yeah, like my well-being feels a bit more well. And they (laughs) noted that their findings were basically similar to findings pre-pandemic, too. Oh, Also, a 2015 study that came out of Stanford focused on walking in nature versus walking in cities, and they found that repetitive thought focused on negative emotions decreased among participants who walked in nature versus those who walked in an urban environment.
1: Wow. I've definitely found that repetitive negative thoughts are not calming, so anything to do the opposite of that, I'm on board for it.
2: Right? Yeah. Like, let's walk through a field if you can find one. Maybe a park. (laughs)
1: and these are just a small
2: sample of studies that tend to prove that being in nature or looking at pictures of nature scenes is calming so i can buy that looking up at the sky aka a piece of nature could also be calming
1: and what about all those other claims made by the skycology study because there were a lot of claims there on top of the calming effect what about those
2: Okay, so this one gets a little meta because from what I could find, one claim kind of explains a few of the other claims. Okay, do tell. So the Skycology study says that people experienced more awe when they looked at the sky. And to be honest, I'm going to base this on my own personal experience, not studies. I can believe that looking at the sky creates a sense of awe. I've experienced it myself. I think a lot of us have,
1: right? Right. Yeah, I mean, isn't that why so many people's Instagram feeds are just sunsets? Isn't that why, Jolenta, you and I both as experienced former nannies so often found the kids in our care would just lay on a hill and look at the sky? Because, like, look at that amazing thing. Look at those clouds. Look at those colors. it's so big. It's
2: right above us. I'm in (laughs) awe. So, okay, if we are working off the premise that we believe looking at the sky elicits awe we can then assume that looking at the sky produces sort of the same benefits as experiencing awe. Got it. So, if we trust in the claim that it elicits awe, that can explain some of the other claims. Okay. The first of those claims is emotional regulation. A 2015 study found that awe reduced feelings of actual and perceived loss. So when we feel awe, we are less affected by negative things and like awe lessens the blow. So I find that one confirmed.
1: Oh, good. Yeah. And in a way, that kind of goes back to those earlier studies around COVID, you know, going outside because... I think we all did feel some negativity. We all felt a sense of loss at that time. Right, right. In addition to feeling trapped.
2: (laughs) Right, a loss of freedom, a loss of a lot of things. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes. So
2: I buy that one. The next claim is that looking at the sky can help you feel more in the moment. And awe does help you feel more in the moment. There are lots of studies about this. One published in 2012 found that awe relative to happiness led to the perception that time is more plentiful and expansive. And compared with a neutral state, awe increased perceived time availability. They also found that awe reduced impatience and increased willingness to volunteer one's time.
1: Ooh, I love that. Right?
2: I thought you'd like that volunteer one.
1: Yeah, I'm all about it. Like, if looking at the sky can make us more altruistic and more community-minded and to care more about those people who maybe have a little bit less in the world, I'm all about it. I love that. That's great. Right.
2: And, like, that all comes from the perception of, like, being in the moment is enough. I have all the time in the world. I have enough time to give away. It's not all, like, time to Mm. hustle, blah, blah, blah. So I, again, am buying that if looking at the sky makes you feel awe, And awe makes you feel more in the moment. Looking at the sky can make you feel more in the moment. Nice. Nice. The third claim that I feel like awe takes care of is that looking at the sky leads to a sense of feeling connected to something bigger than yourself. Again, there are lots of studies on this one that basically imply that awe leads to greater feelings of connection. One study that was published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology in 2015 found that awe leads to more pro-social tendencies by broadening the individual's perspective to include entities vaster and more powerful than oneself and diminishing the salience of the individual self.
1: Ah, You know what I find interesting about this, Jolenta? It reminds me so much of ancient peoples looking at the stars and saying, what about the story of this god? What about Hercules? What about Aphrodite? Yeah. And assigning meaning to something giant in the world, something beyond this world that made this world even. And how often religious paintings focus on the sky as well.
2: Right, right. Exactly.
1: There are a lot of
2: studies that also sort of allude to the fact that this element of awe, the feeling of connection to something greater than oneself, is what is often inspired in religious ceremonies. So that makes sense that you thought that, Kristen. (laughs) Fun fact, actually, for our by-the-book longtime listeners, also, this study I just quoted, one of the researchers was Docker Keltner And he is someone we've talked to from UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center. We've been
1: on their show twice, I believe. Yeah, we have. We love them. They're great. Check out all of their work. Listeners, please check them out. They're fantastic. Yes. Okay.
2: So back to the sky and awe. So basically, awe covers those three claims that looking at the sky can help with emotional regulation. It can promote a sense of being in the moment, and it creates a feeling of being connected to something bigger than yourself. All right. Check, check, check. So the last thing that Paul Conway says is good about Skycology is that It is accessible and ever-changing, so it stays, like, fun to look at. And that is pretty true. Most people, if they are not in prison, can usually look at a patch of sky. And it really doesn't matter how much sky. Because you know I found another fucking study to try to (laughs) prove if this was true or not.
1: Well, that is is a relief because I live in a city and I don't always have access to that much sky. And Jolenta, I cannot afford to buy a country house just so I can look at the sky. I can't afford that kind of life change. I just can't do it.
2: (laughs) Well, don't worry, because a 2016 study from the University of British Columbia has got you covered.
1: And they had
2: participants just simply pay more attention to the nature they encountered in their everyday lives. And they found that increases in well-being were achieved simply by asking asking participants to pay attention to and reflect on emotions evoked by natural objects, scenes, and everyday nature encountered but so often overlooked. And they found that nature-based well-being interventions do not necessarily have to involve whole-scale lifestyle changes, traveling to more natural areas, nor modification of one's immediate environment in order to be effective. Nice, nice. You don't need to run out and buy a country house. You don't need to rearrange your whole apartment and make a whole wall of plants.
1: (laughs) So, Jolenta, after doing all of this research, this is a lot of research you did for this episode. How do you feel about Skycology and its promises?
2: Well, before I give my final verdict... To harken back to our by the book days. I decided I would try some skycology to see how I felt before I made my final judgment call. So here I am, skycology ing. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna try skycology. How am I presently? Um, just kind of drained and shitty feeling, not in the best mood, not in a horrible mood. I'm gonna go out on my fire escape and look at the sky for a few minutes, see what happens. Okay, I'm sitting down, I'm gonna look up at the sky. All right, I've been looking for a bit and I do feel a bit calmer, maybe. I kind of forgot what I was looking at. It sort of looked like I was watching, like, a wave crash in slow motion while I was watching this, like, one fluffy cloud sort of, like, dissipate. At one point in the slow motion wave, I could kind of see, like, a face with its mouth open, and it looked like it was screaming, and I was like, ugh, me too, girl. And I was like, oh, no, I'm, like, commiserating with a cloud. Maybe this is doing something. So... I don't know. I didn't hate it, but I wouldn't be like, "Mm, flip my mood all around. But like, I don't feel worse. And I maybe feel like a smidge better.
1: I could listen to you talk about the sky all day, Jolenta. Very entertaining. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) You know, I don't know
2: if I'm a changed woman, but like it was a somewhat enjoyable experience. It was kind of fun. It was nice. And I walked away, I think, a bit calmer, a bit more relaxed than when I started. I think I'd lifted my own spirits a bit when I was joking about commiserating with the cloud. I didn't hate it. (laughs) I have to say, based on my limited, limited experience, I do think that the benefits of skycology might be like a little overhyped. You know, those are (laughs) a lot of promises for looking at the sky. And like, while we do know we don't have to run out to the country and we can just look up and look at the nature we encounter in everyday life. I don't think it's going to, you know, do the work that therapy is doing to help me regulate my emotions or like be more in the moment. Like it can help. I liked it as sort of a form of meditation. I liked it Mm. way better than meditating. So there's that. (laughs) And I would definitely do it a few more times. And like, I've been just thinking about looking at the sky more. I don't know if it's been helping my life or anything. But like, I didn't hate it, but I think it's probably a bit overhyped, right? Like, because essentially, this guy, Paul Conway, is sort of selling a concept, it seems. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And making a lot of claims based on four people. Yes.
2: Based yeah. on a four-person study. I'm hoping, I'm hoping because it happened in 2019, like maybe he had plans to do a bigger one and then he had to like push them back and he's like still working on it. I'm giving him a lot of made-up benefit of the doubt, to be honest. <laughs> but no, the four-person sample size made me cringe. And I was like, oh no, it's based on four people, dude. Yeah, yeah. So what about you, Kristen? What do you think of Skycology? Are you a Skycologist now?
1: I think I am now a certified skycologist. I am ready to get on my spaceship and fly toward those clouds. But no, seriously, I like seeing the sky. I have had a couple of apartments over the years where I wasn't able to see the sky. When I was younger, I didn't mind so much because I was like working 80 hours a week and, you know, busy doing other things, going to see live music at night. And I just, I I didn't care about what was out my window. But the older I get and the more I have to be at home, the more I am kind of sad when there is no sky that I can see through my windows, when all I can look at is a brick building. That, Mm -hmm. That is a fact of life for a lot of city dwellers. So I get it. But I do tend to, I think, be happier when I can look out a window and see some sky. And across from me, as you know, Jolenta, those super expensive high-rises they put up, yeah, we can't see the sky from most of our front windows anymore. No. And we can only now see the sky if we stand right next to the windows and look straight up. But if you're sitting on our couch now, all you see is buildings. So that's kind of a bummer. Fortunately, we have our back windows so we can see sky there. And Good. we have trees Good. and birds we can look at from the back windows. But, yeah, it's kind of a bummer. So I will say the sky does make me happier. The sky usually is pretty. um there's a variety of ways it's pretty. Even when it's stormy, it's really cool to look at. Yeah, I love lightning. I think lightning is gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think the sky is pretty, and sometimes it's just nice to look at pretty things. I like looking at pretty things. Yeah. Is it the be-all, end-all? Is it going to do things like the nature fix said in that episode of By the Book we talk about claims that you can go off of a lot of your medicines because of being right. outside. Increased immune response. You can go <laughs> up ADHD meds. You'll no longer need glasses. Like, I don't think any of those claims are true. But, yeah, I mean, I like this guy. What's not to like? Right. In my opinion, it's it, it's all good stuff. So I enjoy this guy. But, again, I'm always a little bit skeptical about studies that have four subjects so you're a, you're a hesitant
2: skycologist.
1: Yes, that's more Good. like it. Exactly. I love it.
2: <laughs> How about you, listeners? Tell us what you think. What are your thoughts on skycology? Are you a skycologist? Do you prefer looking at the ground? Write to us. Let us know your thoughts. And send us your advice questions at kristinandjalenta at gmail.com. Or you can always get in on the action at our Facebook group, Facebook.com slash groups slash Kristen
1: Angelenta. Coming up, we hear from a letter writer who's dealing with a spouse who's not in a good place. Stay with us.
0: You don't need a lot of money to do more with it. Join Padma Lakshmi, Viola Davis, and Fidelity's Women
1: Talk Money team during our free Women's History Month series as we get real about ways you can start
0: planning and saving for the future you want so you can feel good about your money every step of the way. Save your seat today at fidelity.com slash WHM. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services. Member NYSE. SIPC.
1: Hey, everyone, we're back with our first letter of the day, Jolenta. What does our letter writer have to say?
2: Our letter writer says, Dear Kristen and Jolenta, This year, my husband has really immersed himself in therapy and getting the support he needs for some personal issues. It's been life and marriage changing in mostly great ways. As a result of this work, he does sometimes get into more depressed-like phases, lots of sleeping, low energy, etc., I'd love to hear ways to support a spouse or loved one during these times. I have my own therapist and we talk about it, but I'd love to hear your take on how to support a depressed partner when they're down.
1: Oh, letter writer. I am so glad that this Therapy is something that's helping your husband for the most part and helping your partnership for the most part. I, I love hearing happy therapy stories. Yes. But yes, yeah, sometimes when delving into our traumas, our issues, our mental health, sometimes, you know, there can be moments of pain, unhappiness. It may be the case, I'm not quite clear from your letter, that maybe he is actually your husband. Not just having those moments of sadness, but possibly a real diagnosis of depression. I'm not quite clear here if depression, as you're using it, is more generalized or if it's more clinical. But yeah, that that can absolutely be the case when people are going through this kind of journey of mental health and taking care of themselves. So it seems like you have a great deal of self-awareness around all of this. And it sounds like you're a super, super supportive spouse. Too, by the way. Your husband is very lucky to have yeah, you. <laughs> the fact that you're so. writing in to be the best partner you can under the circumstances, you sound like just an outstanding person and a great partner. So I just wanted to start off by saying that because sometimes it's hard to give ourselves credit when these big changes are happening. You deserve lots of credit for being a great person here. Yeah, I totally
2: agree. Cause like as tough as it is to sort of unpack your trauma and go through it, it's also tough to support people who are doing that. So, like Yes. Good on you for being there, for caring, for wanting all the advice you can get on how to support your spouse. Like you are clearly so loving and awesome. So give yourself a low high five for that. My advice, I would say like this is based on what I would want as I am the spouse often reprocessing trauma, reframing weird shit from my past, getting into some dark places as the person who tends to be more like, say your husband. I think what has worked for myself and Brad is during a time when your husband seems sort of happy and open, that's the time to make a plan of action. Now that you sort of notice this pattern of him retreating, getting a little depressed seeming, when he's in a good open place, approach him about it first, maybe compliment him on like the great work he's doing because, you know, he's doing it for the benefit of himself and like everyone around him. And then maybe ask, hey, when you get in those little down phases, when you seem sort of sad, is there anything I can do or try to remember to help you or empathize with you? Anything your therapist recommends? You know, ask then what has worked for Brad and I is that basically and we came up with a plan of action ahead of time and he knows like when I start crying and saying like I don't know what to do I don't know what to do he knows to tell me to take a nap because that usually helps me in that situation but like we could have never come up with that in the moment when I'm just like tired and having a meltdown
1: (laughs) I love that concrete example Jolenta and having really concrete strategic action plans I think it's great. It's better than something like, oh, just try to cheer for me. It's like, what do you mean by that? So having something more concrete, I think, is definitely the way to go.
2: Yeah. Like, you want a back rub. You want me to pop in your favorite movie or TV show. Pop in. That shows my age right there. Because that implies (laughs) I'm thinking of a VHS, maybe a DVD.
1: Whoa. Just go to your local Blockbuster video. Yeah. Yeah, If you want me to go
2: rent the latest (laughs) vid, vid for you but you you know what I meant. Like, yeah. Is this when I get out the ice cream and the movie? Or is this when you want a back rub? Is this when you want like the sound machine on and to be left alone? You know?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's all great, Jolenta. And Jolenta, to all of that, I would add, first of all, yes, this is great advice. It's great to go to the source, the husband, and ask him. It's great what you're doing, letter writer, talking to your therapist. But It may also be beneficial for you and your husband to talk to a couple's counselor as well. Maybe you can get a third therapist into the mix here, and that therapist can give advice about the best way to deal with what each of you are separately going through with your mental health, with your struggles and so on. And couples therapy just, I mean, they have all sorts of tools that can take what you're individually doing and help you combine together what will work best for each of you. Because as much as you are trying to support your husband here, you have to also keep in mind your job in life isn't just to be on that side of the equation. And Jolenta alluded to this earlier, like it can be really hard to be in the position that you're in. And so sometimes being in a couple's counseling session, that can remind you, like, you can be as supportive as you want to as a spouse, but that can also be hard. You may need different things that you don't even realize right now. You're focusing a lot on your husband's needs, but maybe there are things you need, too, in the midst of all this. And you're just as worthy of care and understanding as your husband throughout this. So. Couples counseling can be a great reminder of that and, again, provide real concrete tactics of how to communicate with each other, how to get what you both need to make sure that no one is inadvertently maybe taking advantage of the other person because that can accidentally happen sometimes with these couple dynamics. Yeah. So that's just one more suggestion. Consider a couples counselor as well.
2: Yeah. And like some insurance plans, uh, if they have a mental health portion, they do cover couples therapy as well as individuals. So like check with your insurance, see if it's available, because it is a great resource. Couples therapy has helped Brad and I immensely as we've sort of had to transition from just being partners to like partner and caregiver with me becoming so sick with lupus. And just, you know, when there are shifts in the dynamic, especially involving health, whether it be physical or mental, sometimes the relationship just needs a little help from an outside source while it like resorts itself, you know, and an outside source that's a freaking expert in relationships
1: can sometimes help. Yeah. So letter writer, I hope that our advice helps you a little bit. But just once again, I want to end on the note. You seem like a fantastic person, a fantastic partner. And I'm sure that your partner really appreciates all you're doing right now. Yeah. And make sure you take care of yourself while you take care of them. Yes.
2: We are going to take a quick little break. But before we do, would you take a second to rate us and review us wherever you're listening in the podcast player? It helps other people find the show. It helps people know what the show's all
1: about. So give it a shot. Coming up, we hear from a letter writer who's struggling with body positivity. Stay with us. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy, So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem.
0: Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.
2: Okie dokie. We are back with our second letter of the day. Kristen, would you take it away, please?
1: Yes, happily. Our second letter writer says, Dear Kristen and Jolenta, I'm working on living a healthy lifestyle and feel like I'm doing well. But I still have trouble with body positivity and truly being proud of all that my body can do, regardless of its size or shape. Is there any actionable advice for how to stop comparing my body to unattainable beauty standards? Oof,
2: that's a tough one, especially because in this day and age... Health is often synonymous with unhealthy beauty standards. So it's tough to be like, I'm working on getting healthy, a.k.a. a healthy body image. It's a tough tightrope to walk. First of all, I'd want to say, don't beat yourself up for still comparing yourself to these shitty beauty standards. We all do. We were literally conditioned to do it from birth. We have spent a lifetime being fed images of unhealthy, unattainable bodies. Highly photoshopped. by yeah, the Yeah, I was gonna say and like fake bodies. Yes. <laughs> so this stuff doesn't get like undone overnight. You know, it doesn't get undone with like a few months of like trying to shift your focus. So like it's tough. So just first of all, go easy on yourself because it's not your fault that our brains are sort of wired to associate what most would consider unhealthy thinness with health or beauty. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that has helped me the most is truly just really trying to monitor and adjust the social media intake that I can control When I am fed things on TikTok that kind of make me feel bad about my body, I really try to remember to do the thing where it says like, I don't like this. It shows like a broken heart, you know, in the little thing you press and Mm -hmm. to like get my algorithm trained to know, like, I don't need like any thin inspiration. And like, same with Instagram. I've unfollowed influencers that whether or not they mean to highlight and glorify extreme thinness and I've really just tried to make a conscious effort to follow more diverse bodies more people that are happy and proud of looking the way they do regardless of beauty standards and just constantly exposing yourself to that and trying to limit the garbage you can limit does eventually help it has, over time, made it much easier for me to look in the mirror and not be like, ew, you look not like a model. But just be like, yep, there is a body. It does me a great deal of service, and I love it.
1: You know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's all great advice, and I second to that. One thing that—well, first of all, I had to be dragged kicking and screaming into using Instagram, as you know, Jolenta. And what I hated was I was constantly being fed with, you might like this, you might like this, you might like this— and I didn't like any of that stuff. It all seemed ageist. It all seemed fat phobic. It all seemed, you know, a lot of things I can't stand. But Jolenta gave me great advice and she said, just follow animals. Animals will make you happy. And I'm like, oh my God, you're so right. Animals will make me happy. I'm going to follow beavers who live in the wild. I'm going to follow capybaras. I'm going to follow quokkas in Australia. I'm following all these cute animals and it makes me happy. And then when I did start to follow some people, The people I chose were mostly focused on ideas that were about self-love or social justice or about being a decent human in the world. They weren't focused on what they looked like. I'm talking accounts like Viola Davis's, for example. I highly recommend her account as one to follow. It's a fun one. Yeah, it's a really good one. I also, if I do follow influencers, I like the influencers who are doing things with their bodies, not just still photos in fashion. So I follow a fat dancer. I follow a fat roller skater. I follow fat people who do things with their bodies. And it's not that I don't follow any thin people, but the thin people I follow are mostly doing things. Again, it's not just still photos of look at my body. It's like, here I am upcycling secondhand clothes. Here I am cooking something for you. So I try to follow people who... Use their bodies in a way they enjoy rather than just show their bodies, right? If that makes sense, yeah. Or animals, (laughs) no, that
2: makes perfect sense because, like, accounts that remind you that a body isn't there for aesthetics, yes. You know, sure, we can enjoy the aesthetics, we can mess around with them. But, like, ultimately, a body isn't there to just model clothes. It's there to help you exist in the world, to do things, mm-hmm. to, to be worked with. So, like, yeah, reminding yourself that a body isn't just sort of, like, your photo calling card, but, like, it is utilitarian. That's yeah.
1: important. Yeah. So, just to revisit something in this letter that jumped out at me, I'm having trouble being proud of all my body can do regardless of its size or shape. And the second thing I want to visit is how can I stop comparing my body to others? These are two different things, letter writer. Mm -hmm. Being proud of what your body can do is not the same as comparing your body to other bodies. So I would say maybe just put those in two different camps then. Focus on what your body can do. What does it do that you really enjoy? How does it feel when you... Get a massage. Aren't you so grateful that you have those nerve endings? Oh my gosh, isn't it great? My body has the nerve endings to feel so good when I'm getting a massage or getting my hair shampooed. Oh, that feels so good. Or when I go on a walk, I really like the feeling of the oxygen entering my lungs and leaving. Oh, that just feels so good. Or when you wake up in the morning and you stretch, like, oh my gosh, how great is that to feel my muscles stretch out first thing in the morning in bed? And maybe focus on those experiential sensations of what it feels like to have a body and keep that in column A. And hopefully column A will eventually be bigger than column B. And hopefully, eventually, maybe even you won't need column B. Column B, which is about what does my body look like, maybe eventually that will become very, very minor. Maybe eventually you'll reach a place of what's called body neutrality, where it's not really about yay, yay, I look so great, yay, yay, check out my body, yay, yay, look at what my body looks like compared to other 50-year-old women. Instead, maybe you'll reach a point where it's mostly about, hey, my body does great things. I'm grateful for my body, but I don't have to be positive. I don't have to be negative either about what my body looks like. I can just be neutral about what my body looks like and focus more on what my body does for me. That's what I hope you eventually do. So again, just to recap, just separate what your body does for you versus what your body looks like maybe for a while.
2: And if you can't, another thing that's helped me is there are tons of Instagram accounts that do this, but look up posed versus relaxed. And there are models (laughs) showing themselves looking like super thin and muscly and amazing in this outfit and then showing them relaxed in the same outfit. And they look just like you or me sitting in a chair in it. You know what I mean? And showing just, like, the sort of illusions that, like, not only Photoshopping can do, but just posing and realizing, like, oh, it might be, like, I'm just not good at fucking finding angles and shit or knowing how to pose, too. Like, a lot of this is an illusion. So, that has helped me be, like, oh, right. Just a constant reminder of, like, everything I'm fed is a bit of a lie when it comes to, like, body image.
1: Yeah, yeah. And as you've said before, Jolenta, sometimes it's just, like, facing into the light versus having a harsh shadow on you can make you maybe feel a little bit better about that photo. Finding the light, I think is what you called it once, Jolenta. (laughs) Finding your light. Yeah. Yeah. Always find your light. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, a lot of manufactured images, a lot of unhealthy images, but your body's doing great things for you. Letter writer, just enjoy what your body does. Focus every day just a little bit more if you can on what your body does and enjoying what bodies in general can do.
2: And that's it for this episode of How to Be Fine. Huge thank you to our production team at Stitcher, our executive producer, Nora Ritchie, our producer, Chantel Holder, and our composer and engineer, Casey Holford.
1: Reminder, we love it when you spread the word about our show. If you haven't already, tell a friend about the show. Tell an influencer about the show. Tell somebody you love about How to Be Fine. Until next time, I'm Jalanta Greenberg And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. See you next week. And until then, stay fine.